Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Now at O'Reilly Auto Parts, pick up a bottle of Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale for $7.99. Plus, earn double O Rewards points. Help your engine run smoother and last longer with Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale now at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supplies. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Miami has the Dolphins, the greatest football team. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl, because we're the Miami Hello, everybody, and welcome to Finsider Radio. My name is MC Money. I'm joined by Sutton, the creepy soccer fortune teller dad, and Houtstradamus. And this week here on Finsider Radio... We have a myriad of topics to talk about, the most important obviously being the franchise tag on Dolphins wide receiver Jarvis Landry. We're also going to touch on Mike Pouncey and his situation, latest reports coming out of Davey regarding him. And we're going to touch on the draft a little bit, maybe just talk about Mel Kuyper's latest draft and even Albert Breer's latest mock draft. Mel Kuyper mocking Josh Rosen. At number 11 to the Miami Dolphins, Albert Breer also mocking a quarterback. And we've seen a lot of smoke around this over the past several weeks and months. And where there is smoke, there is fire, and we will touch on that. But without further ado, we have a very good interview for you this week. It is none other than Greg Gabriel. And we recorded this interview before Jarvis Landry was slapped with the franchise tag. So just keep that in mind as you listen to this interview. And we're joined now by Greg Gabriel. Gabriel is a former scouting guru with the Chicago Bears. He was the director of college scouting, scouting most recently with the organization and is now doing some freelance work. And, of course, with Pro Football Weekly, his annual draft guide coming out, hitting shelves in the coming weeks. Greg, thank you for joining us here on Finsider Radio. Thank you for having me. All right, Greg, let's get right to it. So let's talk about scouting first. We know that the NFL is predicated and really driven by draft picks and scouting departments, and everyone is crazed about the general manager and everything that goes into it. So you working right under the general manager in Chicago and in the NFL, we know also that not as many NFL teams put the resources that they need to put into their scouting department to really make it successful. So in your opinion, as a former employee in an organization, if a team were to put a larger amount of money, put more resources into it, put more scouts on the ground, would that necessarily equal better results? Or do you think it really has to do with the people running the show? 
You know, that's a good question. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure if it's going to equal better results. Better results come from having real good, number one, having real good scouts who know what they're doing, who can, you know, go out and find the talent and evaluate the talent in a proper way. Uh, But also it's, you know, it's how you line up your board. Uh, You know, it's not just one scout's opinion when when you're, putting a, a grade on a player. There's a half a dozen different reports that go into uh, one guy or one player's, you know, final grade. You have the area scout, there's a cross-check scout. I mean, I have the general manager and the scouting director uh, make a grade, the position coach, the uh, coordinator on that side of the ball. So there's a variety of opinions. And then you uh, put them all together and you come up with a basically a collective uh, opinion grade on on that player. Now you know I've I've been in uh, worked in scouting departments where there basically was no budget. It was a, or an unlimited budget, and that's when I was with the New York Giants for a long time. And and you know we probably spent more money than anybody uh, in the league at that particular time uh, scouting players. And then when I was in the Bears, I think we had a, a limited budget. I only had six scouts on the road plus myself. Uh, yet. We drafted 12 Pro Bowl players in the nine years that uh, I was the scouting director in Chicago. So it, it uh, it's not really how much money you have to go out and do the job. It's how you go out and do the job effectively. It's certainly fascinating stuff, Greg, when you talk about that, because a lot of the fans, of course, don't see behind the curtain there of an organization. So let's stick with the draft process there and the scouting process. When do teams really start to finalize their boards and how much accurate information has leaked out prior to the draft? We know obviously general managers aren't leaking out their information per se, but we do see a lot of uh, reporters and sites saying that they know or they have a really good idea of who a team is targeting and so forth. How much of that is actually true and when does a team really finalize their draft board? Well, I have dubbed this season between basically the end of the, well, the start of the the, the uh, all-star season and the draft is the lying season. You know, and this goes back <laughs> 15 years uh, because uh, there's more lying and BS going on than there is actual truth. Uh, regardless of what so-called insiders and, and draft analysts want to tell you, they don't get accurate information. They think they might, but mm. in most cases, they're lied to when somebody gives them information. I know for a fact, I used to do it all the time. In fact, usually at our, our press conference, post-draft press conference, I used to say, okay, guys, first thing i got to do is go to confession because of all the lies I've told over the last five months. <laughs> and it, it's, you know, and that's what happens. This is, it's a very competitive situation. And there's players you're zeroing in on, and you want to get those players. And so, you know, do you think you're going to go out and tell other people or, or tell an analyst, like, yeah, I really want to get this guy in the first round? Right. It yeah. doesn't happen. Okay. It, it, um, it, when they talk to people, it's very broad, you know, and it, or pointed. In other words, you want to lead people in a certain direction. Because, uh, right. you know, when I was working here in Chicago, we used to do that too. You know, it was, you know, I'll go back to one year, the year we took uh, Rex Grossman uh, 
in the first round. Uh, we had two picks that year in the first round, and he was the second first-round pick, and he ended up being, the, I think, the third or fourth quarterback, fourth quarterback drafted that year. Uh, we didn't even bring him in for a visit. We didn't have a, a private workout with him because we knew that that was the player we, we were going to target, yet we brought in a bunch of other quarterbacks, paraded him out in front of the, uh, the press, that these, were, you know, that these were the guys we were interested in. And it led to one player that we brought in that we basically you know, drooled over and who we had eliminated at the Combine just on his interview was uh, Kyle Bowler. And wow. that draft, I think, what was it, the 2004 draft, I think it was, maybe the 2003 draft. But um, that year because of the interest we supposedly had in bowler baltimore jumped in front of us yeah. traded up jumped in front of us to draft him yeah. okay and then you know so we got you know we ended up getting the player we wanted the guy we didn't want somebody made a move because they thought that's who we wanted and we never wanted him at all um so that's the type of stuff that now the media will say oh my god you know Chicago's got to be in bad shape now. This is the guy they wanted. No, it's not. I mean, but, but you know, you're never <laughs> going to admit to that. You know, 13, 14 years later, I admit to it, but, you know, you don't do yeah. it then. <laughs> um, you know, you let people think what what they want to think. And so, um, but but really, the, the the stuff that people think they know and what they really know is two different things. You know, I've got a lot of friends who are general managers of the league, and I still do some consulting. There's a, you know, a team that uh, I, I give my information to as far as, you know, certain positions that they know that I do well with in, in, in evaluating, and, and uh, you know, I get compensated for that. But, you know, even and I talk to these people, and I don't know what they want to do. Mm. And And some of these people, some of these GMs I've known for, 15, 18, 20 years, and, well, number one, I'm not going to ask them, and number two, even if I ask them, they're not going to tell me, but I'm not going to cross the line and, and go to an area where it, it's going to lead to, hey, you know better than that, you know better than to ask me that, you know, especially be, you know coming from the position that I came from. So, you know, if, if, if one of these guys is out there at a pro day and they talk to somebody, they may pass on some information most of the time it's not true or it's information that they they purposely want out there so that it gets in the media just to lead people in another direction certainly fascinating fascinating stuff greg uh, we're joined again by greg gabriel the former director of college scouting for the chicago bears also he mentioned he's uh, worked 16 seasons with the new york giants and uh, one with the scouting department one with national scouting and 17 with the giants time. Yes, with the Buffalo Bills. Uh, hit on several players during your time with the Bears, Greg. Lance Briggs, Tommy Harris, Devin Hester, Johnny Knox, Nathan Basher. Numerous players, obviously, throughout your time. Let's switch gears now just a second to uh, the Miami Dolphins, and Sutton has a question for you there. Yes, Greg, you did not mince any words on Twitter, and I'll just go ahead and quote it real quick. Many Bears fans are hoping the club goes after wide receiver Jarvis Landry, would be a mistake. He's a 4'7 guy who can be a problem in the locker room. Stay away. 
need team guys, not selfish ones. So what I'd like for you to discuss with us, Greg, is if you're in that Miami front office, you just went through the 2017 season with a bottom quartile offense, how do you approach this situation with Jarvis Landry? Well, I, I, I can answer it real easy. Why isn't he signed right now? Mm. Yeah. You know, uh, why haven't they There's gone out of their way to sign him right now? Now, could they put a franchise tag on him in the next three weeks? Absolutely, they could. I think it, I think the, the date is March 6th. But as it, as it goes right now, they haven't gone out of their way to get a deal done out, you know, and, and you read the papers and you see that he's frustrated by the fact that there, there hasn't been a deal to his liking. I mean, yeah, he caught, what, 112 balls or something last year, but he also averaged 8.8 yards a catch. That's running back average per catch, not wide receiver. And I'm not taking – he's a good player. He's a good player in the right offense, but he's a, you know, the old proverbial possession receiver – he can't run. He never could run. You know, and, and four seven, you know, I'm, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. His actual numbers of the combine were four seven seven and a twenty eight inch vertical jump. The twenty eight inch vertical jump is a lot is a lineman's jump, not a wide receiver's jump. So you know, from a physical standpoint, now you go back to Chicago, the offense that they're going to be uh, bringing in, a fast paced RPO spread type offense where the if you look at the receivers Kansas City had, the receivers that Philadelphia had, and they just won a Super Bowl, you're looking at more. You want you know a big guy, but then the rest of your 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 receivers are going to be speed guys, guys that can uh, create separation, uh, get open coming across the middle, uh, uh, real good after the catch. But speed and quickness are the prerequisite that these players have to have. That's not Jarvis Landry's game. You know, he's, he's better off, you know, playing in a different type of scheme. He, he works the uh, underneath zones very, very well, catches the ball very well. He's pretty good after the catch, but at the same time, when you look at 112 catches and only 8.8 yards a catch, then the question you ask yourself is, does he scare anybody? Is he scaring uh, the opposing defensive coordinator when you're getting ready uh, for your game plan, when you're preparing your game plan for this week's game? And the answer is no, and that's because it's 8.8 yards a catch. If it was 18 yards a catch, that's a different story. Yeah, there is certainly a lot of baggage right now around Jarvis Landry. We're still you know, sorting out all the details with everything, but you are spot on with your analysis of all that, of course. Uh, Greg Gabriel here on Finsider Radio. Greg, uh, the draft guide is coming out from Pro Football Weekly. It's at the printers now. We will, of course, tweet it out from our accounts. I'm sure you'll be tweeting it out from your account. So we'll be looking forward to that coming out as well in the next few weeks. Just one quick thing before we let you go. In your opinion right now, who's the first quarterback taken off the board in this year's draft? Yeah, good question because I don't think it's a great year for the quarterbacks. I, you know, I think going back to last summer when people were – and right after last draft that – you know, people were saying that, you know, this could be the all-time greatest quarterback draft. It's a very, very average quarterback draft, at least in my opinion. The numbers that these guys put up don't say great class. I mean, uh, you got, I think, Mike Mayak. I have known Mike for a long time, and I think he's a very good evaluator. He's got Josh Allen as his number two quarterback. I, I just can't see it. He's a guy that over the last two years in a league – that really plays no defense, the Mountain West, has completed only 56% of his passes. Now, that is a, you know, his, his pass completion percentage in that offense, in that league, should be 
nine to ten points higher at a minimum. Uh, you know, based on what he's being asked to do and the competition they're playing against. When he's played against good competition, you know, he's played terribly. You go back and you look at the Nebraska game last year. You look at the Iowa game this year when he's gone up in competition against, uh, you know, better players, you know, and, and, and the results have been horrendous. Uh, how somebody can rate him as a, as a number two guy is beyond me, and I know why it is. It's, you can go back to the, the Kyle Bowler situation. He's a very athletic guy. He's got the height, weight, speed that you're looking for for the position, and he's got a huge arm. But it takes a lot more than that uh, to play quarterback in the National Football League. Uh, right now I have uh, the uh, quarterback from Oklahoma, Baker Mayfield, as my number one guy at the position. Uh, and there's going to be teams that aren't going to like him. I realize that because he's six foot a half inch tall and they're going to want, you know, every, every team puts out a, um, a profile has a, a written a profile for what they're looking for. The ideal player they're looking for at each position, uh, as far as height, weight, speed, and what traits they're looking for. He doesn't fit the, the, the physical traits that a lot of teams want. He might not even make the, the minimum traits that teams want because he's, shorter than six foot one, but still his play has, uh, you know, speaks for itself. And you've got to take into consideration the college game now. It's so much different than the pro game. So it, it's, you're, you're doing a lot of projecting is when you're uh, evaluating quarterbacks. But uh, I, I would say right now my, my best guy is, is Baker Mayfield. And, and with all the guys I've, I've uh, rated in the magazine, we go to press before the combine. We don't have the verified measurable speeds and stuff, and those and things are going to be grades are going to be fluid. They're fluid with teams in the league. As you get more information in, grades change, and and we'll show the upgraded uh, grades at ProFootballWeekly.com as we get more information in. Basically, just how they're doing it in the league. You get more information, you change a grade, be it going up or going down, depending on uh, some of the physical traits of the player. All right, Greg Gabriel, thank you for joining us here on Finstead Radio. Fascinating stuff. You're a wealth of knowledge. We'd love to have you on again as we head into the draft. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right, take, take care, care, Greg. Again, great stuff from Greg there. Fascinating guy. I wish we could have him on for, for so much longer than we did this week. Boys, you heard what he had to say about Jarvis Landry. 8.8 yards per reception. He compared it to a running back. He said he does not want to pay a wide receiver that kind of money for a running back number. Houts, I know you're a huge fan of Jarvis Landry. And, son, I know you were on Twitter on Wednesday morning debating this very stat. So, Sutton, you were debating this very thing on Wednesday morning. So what are your thoughts on what Greg had to say about Landry? So, Sutton, your thoughts on what Greg had to say about Jarvis Landry? Well, it seemed like the major crux of his argument was the yards per catch thing, you know, alluding to the running back level of production. And when you look at it, I was I was trying to think, well, what kind of conclusion can we draw from that? And when you look at his yards after the catch, he's in the top five in the league, anywhere from number two to number five, depending on what site you go to. But he's up there. So it dawned on me if – you have a low yards per catch and a really high yards after the catch. Aren't we really just saying that Jarvis Landry catches the ball really close to the line of scrimmage? 
So what conclusion can we draw from that? Some people say, yeah, Jarvis Landry is a limited player. What the film is telling me, though, and when I look at that stat and how how do I kind of make sense of it, we're looking at a poor offensive line that can't block for very long, so we have to rely on a short passing game. We have Jay Cutler at quarterback, and we were time and time again in bad down distance and time and situation and getting down and the first quarter and all that kind of stuff. So all those different things factor into Jarvis Landry and that total. And so when you think about it, our number one option for an offense is to throw to a guy close to the line of scrimmage. Now, is that to say that Jarvis Landry can't do other things? No, I don't think we can conclude that because we have seen him make catches down the field. But the fact that that is, the heartbeat of our offense, I think, speaks less to Jarvis Landry than it does more the surrounding factors going on. Because the way I see it, we have at least four major components of the offense that need to uh, happen before we're going to be moving the ball on a consistent basis. Yeah, I completely agree, Sutton. I think uh, it was fascinating to listen to Greg talk. I wish we could listen to him talk for hours. But what it all comes down to is whether or not Jarvis Landry is, is worth this franchise tag the Dolphins placed on him and and if he is that one trick pony that everyone continues to say I mean they sit here and they bring up his targets and they criticize him for his lack of yardage but how much of that can he be at fault I mean he's running those routes that most of the time I mean I know there's rumors that he takes some plays off he does his own thing every now and then uh kind of freelances out there but at the end of the day those are the plays that are called for him and he's making those plays he's running those short underneath routes and He's got Jay Cutler throwing him the football. They don't have a tight end, so he's relying heavily on Landry. And the guy's a first-down machine. So, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and fault him for for what he does when he's given those opportunities because at the end of the day, he's running 10-yard routes nearly 80%, 90% of the time. So, I mean, he's going out there. He's doing what he's asked to do. Is he just a glorified slot receiver? Maybe so. I'm not sure that anyone can put that title on him right now, but – I'm happy that Jarvis Landry is a Miami Dolphin. I know this this price is pretty big, and it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out for Miami. I mean, he's our best player offensively, in my opinion. Uh, once Ryan Tannehill's back, the sky's the limit for him. He had his best season with Jay Cutler, nine touchdowns, nearly 1,000 yards. Uh, like you said, he continues to lead the league in receptions in the first four years of his career, so uh, $16 million. That's a lot of, a lot of money. Uh, hopefully they can agree on a long-term deal, but Jarvis Landry is a Miami Dolphin for now and for the immediate future, it seems. So let's just enjoy this while we can. So let's talk about the actual franchise tag. Okay. So the Dolphins placed the franchise tag the first day that they were able to on Jarvis Landry. Lots of reports came out right away. What's going to happen? Jeff Darlington of ESPN came out and said, when something usually like this happens where the team places the franchise tag on the very first day, it is not a good sign for a long-term contract. In fact, he said it's the exact opposite. So what exactly do the Dolphins have in their pocket for Jarvis Landry? So they could do a few things. One, they could trade him to the highest bidder. At least that's what many people think. But here's the fact about that. One, the Dolphins can't trade him until he signs the franchise tender. Jarvis Landry doesn't have to do that until I think it's like mid, late June, possibly July. He then 
has to agree to a long-term contract with another team because another team is not going to trade for him on a one-year deal. So he basically can do two things. One, he doesn't have to sign that tender. And let's say the Dolphins call his agent up and say, we have a deal for Jarvis with the Cleveland Browns. We're going to trade our number 11 pick and, and Jarvis to the Browns for their number four pick. Well, if Jarvis doesn't want to go to Cleveland, he can say, I'm not signing my tender, so you can't trade me. So there goes that deal. So basically, up until as we head towards training camp, when he has to, the deadline is to sign the tender, he controls everything. Yes, the Dolphins do have some leverage in the sense that they control him. But in reality, Jarvis controls what the Dolphins can really do. And I hope that all makes sense for everybody listening. Because I know there's a lot of misconceptions out there. People are throwing around the two first-round picks. Yes, the Dolphins will get two first-round picks if a team decides to come out and sign Jarvis Landry to an offer sheet. So let's say the 49ers come out to Jarvis Landry, give him an offer sheet, and Jarvis Landry signs. If the Dolphins have the first right of refusal, if they decline to match it, they get two first-round picks in return. But honestly, who is going to give up two first-round picks for a slot ride receiver who cannot play on the outside who averages 8.8 yards per reception? And if that sounds like some Jarvis Landry slander, it's not really slander. I like the dude, but the facts are the facts. You remember under Joe Philbin, he tried to force his way to the outside and did play a little outside and he didn't find much separation. He is a slot receiver. I don't think he'll ever be an outside wide receiver. And that's just who he is. So no, no team is going to give up two first round picks. So you may as well get that off the table right now. So then you come down to the trade, like I talked about. The Dolphins can also do this. They can rescind the tag which means he becomes a free agent at that point. They could agree to a long-term extension with him, or they can say, okay, Jarvis, you're going to play under the franchise tag this season. We're not going to do a long-term contract with you. Maybe we'll revisit in the season. Let's see if you can prove yourself one more year. If they do that and Jarvis agrees to sign the franchise tender, that he's a Miami Dolphin in 2018. Now let's say Jarvis Landry doesn't sign the franchise tender at all. Well, he sits out the season and he's under the franchise tag next season. So it's really in his benefit to sign the tender at some point. But again, yes, the Dolphins do have leverage, but Jarvis has a lot of leverage as well right now because he controls what the Dolphins can do in terms of trade, which is what the rumor is, what the Dolphins are trying to do with Jarvis. Remember, they were trying to trade him around the draft. They were trying to trade him at the trade deadline. Who knows what's going to come out of this? We'll see how it goes. There's a lot to shake out. The NFL combine is coming up. In about a week or so, they will get lots of chatter there. They'll start fielding some offers. They'll start feeling around, see who might be interested, and then they'll kind of go from there. But, yeah, it's a very polarizing topic because Jarvis Landry is a very excellent player, the best slot receiver in the NFL. Now, is he worth $14.5, $15 million a year? Is he worth a five-, six-year contract with $45, $50 million guaranteed? I don't know. And we kind of talked about that. You heard Gabriel talk about that and so forth. So so for you boys, you know, any last thoughts on what the Dolphins should do with Jarvis Landry? Yeah, you know, I, I think one of the backdrops that we're all forgetting about all this is that Devontae Parker has not developed the way that we wanted to. And what would this passing game look like? How are we going to move the chains if we don't have Jarvis Landry in this offense? Because that's how we've manufactured most – of our passing first downs, it seems like. That's why we target him 10 times a game, because that's the best way for us to move the chains. And um, 
so when you consider that, I mean, it's, it gives us a little bit more long-term security to see how some of these younger players play out. Who knows? Maybe Devontae Parker does have a breakout year. We've been saying that for years. But you could also say, you know, how's Four going to play out? Draft steals last year. How is he going to take off? Leontay Carew, what do we have out of him? There's so many unknowns behind him that it's really hard to think of this offense without Jarvis Landry being a centerpiece of the wide receiver fold. I know that changes schematically how how our uh, our passing attack looks, but uh, I think that with Ryan Tannehill coming back, having uh, hopefully some improvements on the offensive line to give them some more time to get the ball down the field, get Kenny Stills back into the fold better than what we saw last year. Thought they incorporated him better in 2016. So to have all those factors in play, uh, I think this offense is capable of doing a lot of things with Jarvis Landry. Like you guys have said earlier in the show, that's possibility of the, the trade compensation, but I'm going into the off season thinking that Jarvis Landry is on this team. Yeah, and that's kind of my thought process, and that's kind of how I hope this whole thing plays out. I mean, Miami, they did the right thing. I, I don't know if they tagged him a bit early by some standards and maybe even by ours, but I mean, they were going to get a third-round pick if he ended up walking and signing with the team freely. So, I mean, they, they tagged him. They can now pick and choose who they, their trade partner is and maybe find a deal that maybe Landry likes. But at the end of the day, I mean, you, you didn't want to pay the guy – 14 and a half million, but then you came out and you slapped a tag on it for 16 million. So I know that's confusing a lot of fans. I know uh, the guaranteed money is different and the cap hit this year isn't quite the same as it would have been with a long-term deal, but you just kind of hope that the Dolphins can and Jarvis Landry and his representation can kind of meet in the middle there, maybe 14 million. I know if they're willing to pay him 13 or middle of 13, why wouldn't you pay him 14, 14 and a half million over a long-term deal? Uh, you both touched on it. It's a good way to see what Landry can do. I mean, the guy hasn't been hurt in his entire career, knock on wood. But at the end of the day, I mean, this offense is better with him. A lot of people want to kind of give him that title of a slot receiver, but at the end of the day, he's a playmaker, and the Dolphins need to continue to find ways to get the football, maybe not target him as much as they have and rely on him as heavily as they have because you just hope that those guys, like Sutton said, Parker, Ford, Carew, Jakeem Grant, Kenny Stills, they continue to take off. And with Ryan Tannehill back, I mean, Ryan Tannehill, Jarvis Landry, that's a, a combination I was hoping to see in Miami for many years, and I'm just glad we'll be able to hopefully see him one more time. And then when you haven't had production out of the tight end unit, you really – so much in the middle of the field has just been exclusively Jarvis Landry. We don't know how to manufacture any yards over the middle of the field unless it's dumping it off to Kenyon Drake or getting it to Jarvis Landry in the middle of the field. We don't know how to – to move the ball with a tight end. So uh, you have to factor that in too. We, we haven't been able to address tight end yet because free agency hasn't started yet. So we're there. It's a work in progress for sure. But Jarvis Landry having him, I think it's a good thing. The saga is just beginning for Dolphins and Jarvis Landry, even though it's been going on for much longer than simply when they placed the franchise tag on him. It just seems like it's never ending. And we are one step closer to the conclusion, but again, it is just beginning. If that makes any sense at all, it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out. No one knows anything. I don't know anything. The beat reporters don't know anything. The national reporters don't know anything. 
The only thing we know is that the Dolphins' preference right now is more than likely to trade him. We know that the Dolphins are very much on the fence about giving him a long-term contract. So we know the Dolphins are using this ploy to try to figure out some things and buy some time. If they keep the franchise tag on him when the league year opens up on March 14th, which, by the way, is the first day they can trade him, they will carry $16 million on their cap right away. And that's going to severely impact their ability to land free agents. So I do think we'll see a conclusion to this rather quickly in free agency. I don't think the Dolphins will carry 16 mil uh, and just let that tie them up. We have seen stranger things happen, but I just don't think that's how it's going to go. And one more point before we move on. We've talked a lot about Jarvis Landry already on this podcast uh, for this week. But a lot of people are asking, why pay Jarvis $16 million if you can't pay him $14.5 million? And, and I've seen that all over the place. And, and here's my response to that. When you're paying a guy $14.5 mil, $16 mil, whatever it is, you can't really look at the annual year average because that is misleading in the NFL. What you need to look at is the guarantees. Sure. I can give Jarvis Landry a $500 million contract, right? I can make it so it's completely backloaded. So I'm paying him $12 million a year for the first three years. I can make it so he gets only $45 million guaranteed. He will never, ever see the other $455 million that is in his contract because I'm only guaranteeing him 45 and it's all backloaded. So after year three, I'm going to be able to get out of that contract. So that's really the thing that you need to look at is the guarantees. Yeah, they might be the, the rumor was that Dolphins offered 13 per year and Jarvis wants 14 and a half per year. Sure. A million and a half per year. You're saying close the deal. We don't know though what they're offering in guarantees. We don't know the length of the contract. We don't know the get-out clause like the Dolphins usually do after two years, three years. And we don't know what the other side wants. So it's not about annual average per year. It's about the guaranteed amount of money. So that's you know that's where I'm coming from when I, when I see that thing, the tweets, the questions. Why, aren't, why can't the Dolphins just pay him what he wants? It's just it's way more than that. It's much more complex. All right. Let's go on to the draft. And you heard Greg Gabriel launch a ton, a ton of insight and information, calling it an average quarterback class. With everything we've heard, this class is amazing, right? Saying that he does believe that Baker Mayfield is one of the best in the draft. Saying who the Cleveland Browns should go after with pick number one. But I thought Sutton and House, the most interesting thing was how much he said he lied throughout the draft process. And we know they all lie. But it was just interesting hearing it straight from a guy who's walked the walk and talked the talk. And I just kind of want to get your reactions on that, Sutton. We'll start with you. That was my favorite part. And that was when I started writing for the Finsider, that was one of the things that got me a little bit of a following was going into the just what smoke screens mean and how they unfold in the, in the off season and the way that NFL teams kind of use the media 
So for a select part of the NFL calendar, you know, most of the time NFL teams and the media have at least a civil understanding about how things should play out. And then during smokescreen season, there's just absolutely no holds barred. I will lie to my own mother. Um, and, and what Greg was saying is it, it's just so competitive. You know, it's so important to get draft picks right and people's jobs are on the line and people only have jobs for a year or two in the NFL sometimes before you you have to make some noise before you're, you're you might be cleaning out your desk very next moment. So to have those kind of pressures on you, you have to get it right. So you do whatever you got to do to do what's best for the team. And one of the things that kind of stuck out to me in that interview is Greg was like, let people, you know, think what they think, what they think. We don't care. You know, everyone thought that Rex Grossman was the, Uh, you know, the second fiddle of what we wanted, but that's who we wanted all along. And so it was interesting to hear those kind of things because you can see it playing out that way. And to have all these different layers of dynamics between different teams, that's why the the draft is such an interesting intersection of things happening for me. All All the different allegiances that people have, the friendships, uh, all the different rumors and information out there, the tape that's out there. It's and, and so many different ways to look at the tape too. That's a thing. It's tape isn't in and of itself uh, the holy grail. You have to be able to decipher what's going on in it, and so even tape isn't enough. So it's it's all a glorious thing. And smoke screens, just as Greg said. There's going to be a lot of lies this offseason, so just make sure you have your uh, filters out. Is anyone else shocked at Sutton's favorite part is the smoke screens? That, that doesn't seem like a shock to me. <laughs> 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 but for me, I mean, you're right. I mean, as fans, for we've been following the draft, I'm sure, just like, just like myself. I mean, we've been following it for a decade, 10, 15 years, and, I mean, you always – would search online or read mock drafts and, and hear what the analysts have to say. And then to hear a, a guy that did this and continues to do it as his career, to just come out and say blatantly, yeah, we lie. We, we feed these, these uh, rumors out there just to kind of, to see the way things play out. And I mean, whether or not some of these guys, I mean, you see it, Eli Apple, he was the guy, for instance, Dolphins were linked to a couple people reported on it. I mean, at the end of the day, maybe the Dolphins were very interested in him and, had Larry Tunsil not fell, he might have been the guy. But in most instances, you're right. It is all just lies, and, and that was my favorite part of the interview you guys had with him. I mean, it, it's just it's just something to, to remember as we sit here and we see these guys, like you said. We got Josh Rosen mocked to the Dolphins, and you got Baker Mayfield, who I think many of us would be ecstatic if he fell to the Dolphins. I mean, you, you hear those names come out. You know that the Dolphins are meeting with Mayfield prior to his pro day, but how much of that is just so they can – you know, put this face on that they are interested in this quarterback so a team might leapfrog them in order to have one of the players who they covet fall to them. So, I mean, it's all a smoke and mirror type thing, and it was just awesome to hear a scout in the industry come out and say it clearly. Yeah, that Kyle Bowler story was fantastic. We all remember watching Kyle Bowler uh, from his knees at his pro day and just launching the ball, right? And his arm strength impressed everybody. 
And we kind of have the almost same situation going on right now with the Miami Dolphins and Baker Mayfield. And I hope to God that it's not true because I absolutely love Baker Mayfield, but they have been all over Baker from the very beginning. Is this their own Kyle Bowler? Are the Dolphins showing this much interest in Baker Mayfield to maybe force the Bills to move up and grab him like has been rumored, and then they get their guy at 11, whether it's a quarterback or somebody else? We don't know. We won't find out for a while. But we see it all the time. And we probably saw it this past year with the 49ers and the Bears with them leapfrogging ahead and picking Mitchell Trubisky. It's it's a fascinating time of the year, and it's hard to believe everything you see. A lot of it is agent-driven, as you heard Greg say. The people in the war rooms, the people in the front offices aren't saying much in terms of refuting reports. They're leaking a little bit, but it's all false information that they're leaking out there. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with the Dolphins, and we'll see what happens with all the other teams. I love this time of the year. It's amazing, which brings me to mock drafts. We talked about that at the top of the show. Josh Rosen with Mel Kuyper going to the Dolphins. Baker Mayfield with Albert Breer going to the Dolphins. And mock drafts, for me, Sutton and Houts, I don't look at them in terms of where the player is going and who's getting what player. I look at it and piece things together. I piece patterns together. I piece trends together. Because these mock drafts coming from the biggest names out there, the Albert Breers, the Mel Kuypers, the Todd McShays, the Matt Millers, they get those things they get those slots with those players and positions based on what they're hearing around the league. So when we see this much talk about the Dolphins and a quarterback, they are hearing it from somewhere. They're not pulling it out of thin air and saying, Oh, Tannehill's coming off two injuries. I think they may want a quarterback. No, they are hearing it. They're hearing it from front offices. They're hearing it from agents. They're hearing it from scouts. So there's a lot of smoke going around there. So, and what are your thoughts on mock drafts? Do you like them? Do you hate them? How do you look at them? Uh, you know what? I've kind of come around, you know, as I'm old and have all these kids and all this kind of stuff, and now I have gray hair. Mock drafts used to be, I used to be like, well, Mike, you know, Mel Kuyper can't get this right, and Todd McShay can't get this right, and, oh, man, they can't do this, and, man, they should just quit. You know what? Mock drafts aren't for me anymore. They're not about the predictive validity of them. It's just a what if scenario. What if this player is on your team? What how would that affect everything you're doing for the rest of this draft? So yeah, if we drafted a quarterback in the first round, that dramatically alters how we uh try to piece together the rest of the roster uh going into everything. But you know, free agency hasn't happened or anything like that either. So you you have to factor that into it so free agency is going to come first and that's going to inform us about what needs to happen in the draft a little bit better uh but in terms of just looking at it as a fortune teller like i was with the jarvis landry franchise tag you know that's not what i'm looking for out of mock drafts i'm just looking for how how is that how would that particular player fit and then in, in some of the research that I did as a young pup, when I looked at smoke screens, what I saw was a former NFL scout was saying that they would tell the media a certain position to use in a mock draft, um, that they would let them run with a certain position, but they would get to choose which player. 
So say they wanted to capitalize on, say, the quarterbacks being or sorry, the Dolphins being interested in a quarterback, say, instead of using the name Josh Rosen, I want you to use the name Baker Mayfield. So that's a different way that they spread misinformation is they might actually like a quarterback, but they they throw the, the name out there that they want to. And that was kind of what Greg and his staff did with the whole Kyle Bowler, Rex Grossman thing. So you could easily see that playing out too. So smoke screen season, baby. For me, it's a saying I've always had, and it's uh, mock drafts are like buttholes. Everyone has one. It seems like everyone out there, draft Twitter, all these experts, analysts, Mel Kuyper and his toupee, they all have these mock drafts, and they're very very rarely right. You know, I mean, you got these guys that doing this for years, and they know what these teams need, what their positions of interest are, and maybe they hit on, what, eight players throughout an entire first-round mock draft. So it, it's fun to watch. It's fun to to read up on them and to see, you know, the Baker Mayfield projected in Miami. Josh Rosen, which, I mean, let's be honest, if he falls to 11, it would be pretty hard for the Dolphins to pass up on him. He might be the most NFL-ready quarterback. But at the end of the day, mock drafts, you take them with a grain of salt. They're interested to see what teams might need and where players might fall, but that's a, that's about all it is. It, it gives you a good idea of where, you know, Saquon Barkley might go or the Calvin Ridleys, Tremaine Edmonds, uh, Davenport. The list goes on and on. You got these players where they're kind of giving you that five to ten pick range of where these guys might go, and then you just have something crazy happen. I remember a few years ago watching a draft, and I believe that was the year Atlanta trade up for Julio Jones. Like, it blew my freaking mind, and I think that at the end of the day is is what the draft's all about. It's about going out there, watching what your team needs, seeing what your team needs. And then recently, I mean, there's been all kinds of crazy trades, and none of that can be predicted in mock drafts. So uh, I take them with a grain of salt, but it's fun to see where these players are projected. And at the end of the day, everyone has a mock draft, so it is what it is. I used to be of the thought that mock drafts are absolutely useless until I started talking to more and more people. I'm not going to sit here and, and brag about you know the sources I have even though that's kind of like passive aggressive bragging. But what I've learned is that they do matter in a sense, like we all said, the patterns and the trends that you see in these mock drafts. And and again, it's not about what player is going where. It's about the positions you see a team picking, the kind of analysis that goes along with it, and kind of reading between the lines. You, you can't just look at it on the surface and think that you're going to get everything. Really got to compare all the different mock drafts out there. Really got to take a look at your team and others if you're into the other teams as well and kind of start formulating a picture off of that. So again, silly season, a smoke season, and we don't know whether these reporters and analysts who do the mock drafts, we don't know if they're getting fed false information either or if they're in cahoots with the front office and the front office is telling them to put this on their mock draft to throw people away. It's, again, a fascinating game. Let's switch gears now and go to our final topic. That's Mike Pouncey and Armando Salguero of the Miami Herald reporting that Mike Pouncey will be a Miami Dolphin in 2018. He will not be cut. His salary will not be reduced. Mike Pouncey playing in all 16 games in the 2017 season. Very impressive after missing the last few years uh, with different games throughout the season. Didn't practice a ton, which people may have attributed to the offensive line being inconsistent throughout the season. Can Mike Pouncey survive another 16-game season? And do the Dolphins need to 
put them in practice more because I do think they do. I do think that it's important they get the chemistry down, they get the right calls at the line of scrimmage, and they start working together as a unit. We'll probably see the release of Juwan James. We'll have Laremi Tunsil on the left side. Jesse Davis going into right tackle or right guard. I think the Dolphins may pick an offensive tackle in the second round. Maybe pick up a guard in free agency, and that's your offensive line right there with Pouncey in the middle. So how it's for you, are you surprised the Dolphins aren't moving on from Pouncey? Do you think they're making the right move? And do you think Pouncey can last 16 games? That's a loaded question. Um, I think I have ADHD because it's hard for me to keep up with it. But uh, we'll start with the first question I heard you say a little bit ago. Can he play 16 games? Absolutely not. I don't think he can. He hasn't for quite some time. Should the Miami Dolphins move on from That's hard to say. I mean, he's a veteran presence. He's a guy that I believe Adam Gase likes. When he's healthy, he's one of the better centers in the NFL. Keyword there's when. And at the end of the day, I mean, that money's already on the on the board. The team already knows that they got to maneuver the cap around him. So uh, it's hard to say. I mean, can you just go out there and cut Mike Pouncey and then have this void at center or, or guard or wherever you might decide to play him in 2018? I don't think you can. I don't think he's worth what he's making. I don't think he has been for quite some time. And ideally, you want to restructure that. But I think it came out today. Armando said it. It's not happening. A restructure is not going to be the way the Dolphins approach this. And I think they're going in 2018 expecting Mike Pounce to be their center. And, and hopefully he can stay healthy because when he is, that offensive line's a hell of a lot better with Pouncey than it is without him. I'll admit that I'm not the biggest Mike Pouncey fan, but – we're still at that point in the roster. We, we can't create more holes than what we already have. And we've already, I've already mentioned earlier in the show that I think there's at least four holes on offense, if not at least three on defense. So I think there's a lot of work to do on the roster. So I I think we're a little bit pigeonholed with Mike Pouncey. So by that, I mean, I, I, I'm not the biggest fan of him, and I don't think that the money justifies having essentially a pass blocker. What we haven't seen from him historically and even recently, and yes, he played a full game, or sorry, a full season last year. The fact that we're even talking, we're like impressed that he had a, a full season really should remind us how fragile his injury history is. So we need to be cognizant of that. And just the fact that we it seems like our offensive line is a collection of pass blockers concerns me because that makes us a little bit more one-dimensional than we need to be. So we need to be able to find some different versatility in that offensive line. So I was hoping to be able to move on from him. It doesn't look like it's going to be able to happen. Of course, I appreciate the leadership, those kinds of things, but – uh, from a physicality standpoint and from just what I've seen on tape historically, I just I wish we could move on from it, but we're just not in a good position to do so. We don't know if Mike Pouncey will last 16 games. We do know he will be a Miami Dolphin in 2018, and we'll see how they shore up the offensive line and free agency and the draft. We'll see how this Jarvis Landry situation plays out over the next week until we return next time to talk to you. We'll bring you any updates. The NFL Combine is coming up. Lots of rumors will be flying around there. That is the unofficial tampering period that begins for all NFL teams and agents. And then that will lead us into free agency, which begins on March 14th.
For Sutton, the fortune teller, and Houtstradamus, I am MC Money. Thank you for listening to Finsider Radio. We'll talk to you next time. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl, because we're the Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Yes, we're the Pick up a bottle of Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale for $7.99. Plus, earn double O rewards points. Help your engine run smoother and last longer with Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale now at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supplies. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. Why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. 
So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Hello, I'm Neil Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial Series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts.